0: Mr. Guinness, please come in. Come in. Have a seat.
1: All right. How you doing, Mr. Cross?
0: I'm fine. Uh, I understand that you're looking for the murder of a podcast called Late Seated.
1: That's correct, sir. And what can you tell me about uh, what you know about this?
0: Oh, nothing, nothing. Uh, would, Would you like a fish? I, I like serving it with the head on. Would you like fish?
1: Re- I don't really like it when my dinner's looking back at me.
0: Hortensia, bring him a fish with the head on it. Uh, Would you like some chicken?
1: I, can, I, I hope you don't serve the chicken the same way you serve the fish.
0: No, we, we serve it alive. Hortensia, bring the live chicken. Would you like some wine? Have some wine. Would you like a water contract?
1: This is just a glass of grapes.
0: Right. Well, how about, would you like to sleep with my daughter? I have. She's great. Whoa. Forget it, Jake. It's
2: Chinatown. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Lead Seating. I'm Jason Harding. And I'm
1: Steve Shives.
2: And on this show, we take a classic movie and we see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is good, right, Steve?
1: It couldn't hardly be no better.
2: I bet it could be better.
1: Well, well. It could
2: be taught in schools to grade school children. It It could be something that we have to watch by enforcement of the government at least once a year. Oh, Like
1: like that Zeffirelli, Romeo, and Juliet. Oh,
2: God, yeah. We went on a field trip to see that. Really? A movie? Yeah, to San Francisco. to watch. You got
1: to see it in theater. a movie? We just watched it on, on one of those roll-in TV carts.
2: Well, that's because you're 10 years later than me, and your schools had no money, and, yeah. and it sucked.
1: And, I, and our English teacher was like, "Now there's going to be boobies in it, so everybody calmed down. And we were like, they okay, okay we'll be calm, we'll us. be calm.
2: They didn't even say that. We got surprise boobies.
1: Surprise boobies. Wow. For a
2: Surprise movie. We got to watch the movie with popcorn and snacks, and then Damn. we got to go to Pier 39 after, because the movie's only what two and a half million years along and then after we got to go to pier 39 and fuck around and get even more candy wow. and be as high as kites when we got home you know and tell our parents we saw tits
1: <laughs> in our public schools our suck on that
2: bust us on a 40 minute bus ride so that we could see tits and it was the greatest
1: day of my life <laughs>
2: I'd seen tits already. There was so much fucking desperate hidden porn in the in the creeks and and the forests around my. Where I You're lived.
1: telling me that you, as a teenager in San Francisco in the '80s, I had already a seen tits. When I,
2: saw it. I was thirteen. Why well, I was I was a tween?
1: A tween. I, a youngster.
2: My, okay, I'll tell you this directly. My father, okay, in the 1970s was decorating our bath, okay? And what he decided to do in the tub was just put a bunch of pictures of people naked having baths, right? That he cut out of pictures and stuff like that. Sure. And that's nothing but lots of, well, it was mostly women. So I saw tits when I was five. While you were taking a bath. While I was taking a bath, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. I never asked him about it. <laughs> and then there was one time when I was eight, when he went to uh, he went to drop off the car at an auto shop, I asked to use the bathroom, and I went into the bathroom, and they had a stack of fucking porn. Like, they had Wee, do you remember Wee magazine, and Penthouse, and I was just looking through them, and I was in there for like 35 minutes because the guys at the shop started laughing because <laughs> they knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs>
1: I love, I, love, I love what an encyclopedic recall you have of all your early encounters with pictures of boobies.
2: It's all I have? <laughs> anyway, the movie. What movie are we going to watch? What fucking film are we doing this time It's around?
1: the, It's that classic neo-noir from 1974, Chinatown.
2: Hooray, Chinatown. Let's do it. Try
1: to contain your enthusiasm. <laughs>
2: Just do the goddamn trivia. All
1: right. All right. So here's some trivia for you. This is actually, I didn't know this, but this ties into our our little cold open that we did just now. Oh, okay. Um, So uh, Jack Nicholson was dating Angelica Houston at the time. In fact, they went out for a long time. They were together for like 20 years. They were, yeah, Um, they
2: were on and off again for a real long
1: time. Yeah. So he and Angelica Houston were going out when this movie was being made. And uh, Angelica's father, John Houston, plays the main villain in this. And so there's that scene. Hey,
2: you're giving it away.
1: Oh, sorry. Spoilers for Chinatown. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the last scene is set in Chinatown. Um, he plays
2: Noah Cross. Noah Cross. Yes, he plays Nicholas Noah villain. Cross.
1: He plays Noah Cross, and uh, who is a surprise villain you never see that coming. Um, and uh, there's a scene that they're having together where uh, he's. I think it's when he meets him for the first time, and Noah Cross says uh-huh. to he says to Mister Giddies, "Are you sleeping with my daughter, Mister Giddies?" or Mister Gitz, as he calls him. Uh, and in reality, Jack Nicholson was, in fact. Sleeping with John Huston's daughter.
2: That's not trivia.
1: It's kind of trivia.
2: That was the character Noah Cross asking Jake Giddies.
1: Played by the actor, John Huston, asking the character played by the actor, Jack Nicholson. But
2: the act, they, these are characters, Steve. They take their job seriously. They're
1: completely separate from reality.
2: Maybe like ten years later, they went. It oh, wasn't that funny. How at the time, and Jack was like, "I don't remember." And then you know, they <laughs> ate a turkey sandwich or some fucking shit.
1: Jack's like, "I was stoned then, and I'm stoned now." <laughs> Angelica, who, who are you?
2: What's happening? Anyway, that's it. That's all the trivia. No, I haven't.
1: Happened, I have right? no. Um. Uh. That's in 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 one of the uh <sighs> the scene in one of the in one of the scenes <laughs> in one of the scenes that I'm sure we're gonna talk about. Um, uh-huh. uh, if, if it looks like Jack Nicholson is really slapping Faye Dunaway, that's because uh-huh. Jack Nicholson is really slapping Faye Dunaway. Um, yeah. and a- yeah. apparently according to, according to, to, uh, the legend, uh, it, that was Faye Dunaway's idea because she was not happy with, it's a fucking uh, I, that, I mean, I, I would tend to,
2: Fucking lion, you know. <laughs> and
1: it. even and even look, even if it was Faye Dunaway's idea, if uh-huh. I, I don't know, if I were the director of the movie, I might think twice about a letting it happen and b putting it in the movie. If it did happen for whatever reason, it's the mates. Um,
2: she's my daughter. She's my sister. Yeah, she's my daughter. And and,
1: she's my and sister. yeah, and, and Jake, you know, slaps her. I think three or four times. And uh, yeah, I don't it's think hilarious. It's it's the it's the comic high point of the movie. Really, look at him go. <laughs> uh but yeah Jeez, so my
2: hairdresser anyway what? yeah but anyway so what? yeah
1: uh, uh allegedly that was Faye dunaway's idea for nicholson to smack her and up uh, and, and nicholson felt bad about it afterwards i'm sure i'm, sure, I'm he, sure he did i'm sure he was real broke up about it
2: yeah i bet yeah because everyone's all broke up when women get slapped around in hollywood especially
1: right, in the 70s yeah yeah <laughs> wow hollywood is a nightmare folks uh-huh. It's a nightmare Especially factory. If you're a woman. It's a nightmare factory built on a foundation of violence and broken dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, one last bit of trivia. This this actually does uh, make me make me smile a little bit. It's one of those weird sort of uh, random factoids and I don't know <laughs> if this was intentional on the part of uh, I guess it would have been the screenwriter Robert Town or what, but mm-hmm. uh, the film is set in the year 1937. Great. The real Chinatown In Los Angeles was Uh demolished by the year 1936 because that's where they built Union Station and the new Chinatown would not be in place until 1938, which means that the film Chinatown is set during the one year when the real L.A. had no Chinatown.
2: Wow. Look at Steve glance over the cruelty that took place in that story. It brings a smile to his face.
1: It's just a neat little bit of trivia. How all those people
2: arbitrarily tore down an entire neighborhood filled with unwanted people, so that they could build their stupid fucking train station. But you're right; it is historically inaccurate.
1: I right? just thought it was neat. That's all.
2: What? That people were displaced and had yeah. to find a new place to live? Yeah. And it took them a year and a half of living in cars or on the street before they could settle into another section of Los Angeles? Yeah, you know, is it's, that just, what it's you're, just a little... Is that what you're giggling it's about?
1: A little, <laughs> it's a little piece of movie history, you know? It's just, Today
2: I am Jason, ruiner of things. So, <laughs> yes, it, it brings a smile to my face, too.
1: You know, Quentin Tarantino would think it was worth it him because he he seems he seems to disregard everything other than movie shit mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you told him if you told him that like citizen kane you know in order to film mm-hmm. citizen kane they had to drown 15 children he would have been like well but i mean it's such a great film though mm-hmm. <laughs> like y- okay <laughs> that's is that all your that's trivia? all my trivia that's all my trivia
2: i have some trivia
1: what's the trivia you have
2: so according to what everyone said or at least what was pushed by the studio and the production company was that Faye dunaway was impossible to work with cause she was histrionic and she didn't get along with roman polanski or jack nicholson when the truth of the matter pr- probably is is that she was a woman who had op- opinions and feelings, and was tired of being pushed around and treated like an object. And this culminated in one day, after she spent the entire morning getting her hair perfect, that Roman Polanski was shooting a scene and one of the hairs was just out of place. And so he walked up and pulled the hair out of her head. And she said, that's it. You don't get to treat me that way. I'm not upset by you touching me. And literally pulling hair off of my head like I'm a fucking object, I'm actually upset because of the way I'm being treated, and she nearly quit the movie. They convince her to continue to do it, because in Hollywood, if a woman quits a movie, she never works again. Yeah. Isn't that fun trivia, Steve?
1: And uh, was it before or after that incident that Roman Polanski changed the ending of the movie? <laughs> I
2: think it was during the writing so
1: that the incestuous uh the incestuous villain survived mm-hmm. and the the victimized woman was killed
2: he has the woman killed
1: <laughs> by sheer coincidence
2: mm-hmm It was completely by coincidence. Hey, do we want to? Oh, hey, look, it's my turn for my part.
1: Yeah, time to talk about the people who made the thing. It It was
2: directed by Roman Polanski. You know him. He's not coming back to the United States ever because um, he raped a 13-year-old girl.
1: He's fleeing justice.
2: And for nearly 20 years, people have been saying, he didn't, it's funny, either they say, he didn't do it, despite the overwhelming evidence, or <laughs> yeah. what he did wasn't that bad, and he should be allowed back in. Fuck him. Fuck Roman Polanski. In the years since that, five more women have come forward where he assaulted them when they were children. Yeah, He's got a problem, and that problem is he's alive. And I don't <laughs> want him to be alive anymore making movies. I don't give a shit how good his movies were or are, because apparently he's still making them. He keeps saying that, they, you know, it's all blackmail. Fuck you, you creepy, skeevy little shithead. I mean, um, you know, the
1: funny part about that, right? And this is what I thought. He also
2: I, directed Rosemary's Baby.
1: He's <laughs> in
0: the <yeah>. piano.
1: <laughs> I mean, when people like that, and and Woody Allen has made the same sorts of arguments, like, you know, it's people making stuff up because they, bear, they have, like, a grudge or they want money or something like that. If you were some kind of unscrupulous person and you were going to blackmail some Hollywood big shot, you know, mm-hmm. and you're going to and you were making up stories that were totally untrue and it was purely for purposes of blackmail because you wanted money, would Roman Polanski be the dude you would go after? Like seriously? He was yeah. never it's not like he was never like a blockbuster director. I mean, he was obviously very successful, but I mean, like, there's got to be deeper wells in Hollywood in the 70s than Roman Polanski.
2: And before we get any deeper, I know that the, the woman, because she's a woman, she's a grown woman now. Oh, yeah. Has said, oh, he's suffered enough and I don't want him to suffer anymore. That's that's great that she's found it in her to forgive him. It doesn't mean I do. It doesn't mean that anyone else has to It doesn't to mean the me law either. should, yeah. Hey, remember when he won Best Director for the piano? For the piano. Everyone in Hollywood stood up. Martin Scorsese and all the other directors all stood up and clapped their wee little hands for the rapist because you know that's what Hollywood is that's what Hollywood is
1: well how many of them have their hands dirty as well i mean you know it's just I don't it's, it's I, I it's just I don't. As as the Weinstein thing, I think showed us, like it's just so normalized. You have no idea how normalized it. Is. Even I'm sure I'm sure a lot of those people who were applauding for Roman Polanski, if you cornered them and said, "Can you condone what he did?" They would say, "No, of course not." But they live in this world where it's like, oh, can we applaud for Polanski? Is that is that okay? And someone says, and, yeah, and
2: stand up for him. And and,
1: and, and someone says, yeah, oh, no, that's fine. And they do it because that's just that's the world. It's this amoral world that they've been living in for so long. You know, yeah. That's the, yeah. not to excuse any of it, but I mean, that's no, yeah. Anyway, that's, it was it's a nightmare.
2: By, uh... I just it's yeah it's bad. It was produced by Robert Evans, and he he uh, wrote uh, he produced Marathon Man and Popeye. You
1: <laughs> <laughs> you you're, you're really you're really taking the, uh, the 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 top titles from his resume, Don't aren't you?
2: Care. And also, he uh, was convicted of cocaine smuggling. I,
1: I think when he I, uh, I think when he died, his body was nothing but cocaine.
2: Yeah, but then they rehabilitated him because it's Hollywood. So who gives a shit? If it had been a woman, they probably would have erected her up on a pole in in Hollywood and see everybody. We don't we don't condone this. <laughs> we
1: don't tolerate drug use in Hollywood
2: exactly starring Jack Nicholson as Jake Giddes you know who he is god damn it He's I don't the- care Faye Dunaway as <laughs> Evelyn Cross Mulray she was in Mommy Dearest and she was in Network and she was in a whole bunch of movies and everyone said she's so hard to work with because she's a woman and she has opinions and she doesn't keep her mouth shut and she may maybe quit if you if you treat her like meat. so don't try but it's really hard I know you guys it's really hard when you see a woman to think that there's a person there Uh, John Huston is Noah Cross, and you know John Huston. He's a world-famous director, and he directed The Maltese Falcon, and he directed a whole bunch of movies, and um, he was the voice of Gandalf in The Rankin-Bass, The Hobbit, and um, what else? That's it. He's Angelic Huston's dad. Yes. And I haven't heard anything bad about him yet.
1: I don't think... Yeah, me neither. I don't... Not that I...
2: Perry Lopez as Lieutenant Lou Escobar, and he was in Mr. Roberts and Kelly's Heroes. John Hillerman as Russ Yelburton, and you may know him as one of the guys in Blazing Saddles, but you probably know him better as as Higgins from Magnum P.I. Yeah, I.
1: baby, Higgy baby. Daryl
2: Higgy baby. Hey, Higgy baby. Daryl Zwirling <laughs> as Hollis I. Mulray, and he was in Greece. And he was in Wild at Heart. (laughs) And speaking of Wild at Heart, Diane Ladd as Anna Sessions. She was in Wild at Heart, too. You probably know her. She puts lipstick all over her face. (laughs) And she's Laura Dern's mom. Because nepotism. <laughs> Roy Jensen as Claude Mulvihill. He was in everything. He was one of those actors. He's in. He's in everything. He, you can't. Roman Polanski as a pile of shit. And I wish he died. <laughs> Roman Polanski as himself. Roman Polanski as man with knife. He said, "I want a role. I want a cameo in here, just like Alfred Hitchcock." And they're like, "Who do you want to play? I want to be the person that slices open Jack Nicholson's nose." Okay, Oof. that's the part you cool. chose. <laughs> that's not problematic at all. Just like you told one underage model while you were working on him that she could become, he, he could share and tate her. Boy, that's dark enough. Oh, that, that's a little that dark. dark. That's a
1: little dark, and yeah.
2: Fucking dark. Yeah. Joe Mantel as Lawrence Walsh. He was in Marty. Bruce Clever as Duffy, and he was a hitman in Diamonds Are Forever. And he's the daddy of Crispin Glover. Ooh. And as soon as you say it and you see his face, you're like, yep, that's Crispin dad. Yeah, totally.
1: Dad. Totally.
2: Nan, Nandu Hines is Sophie. Nothing. James O'Rear is lawyer. Nothing. James Hong is Khan, and you know, <laughs> Emmys and everything. Con <laughs> <Everything. laughs> Khan Evelyn's butler. And he, you know, we just recently talked about how great he is in Big Trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. Bulaquo as Maid. Hey Steve. Yeah, man. You know, she was an advocate so that um, Asian people could get better roles, screen roles in Hollywood, instead of laundry man, maid, butler, you know. Yeah. Person working at a Chinese food restaurant.
1: Yeah, very, yeah, very important. Mm-hmm. She plays the she maid. A,
2: yeah, and she founded a lot of organizations in pursuit of that goal. Good for her. Jerry Fujikawa as Gardner, nothing. Belinda Palmer as Catherine, Catherine Ross, nothing. Roy Roberts as irate farmer, and you might, um, no. I He's the mayor. That's, that's rant, yeah. Stop it. <laughs> Stop <laughs> it. My eyes are angry, and it's hard to read. I'm sorry. Mayor Bagby, and he was in a lot. He's in tons of stuff. Noble Wellingham is councilman, and you'll know him better as the old man in Walker, Texas Ranger. And he says things like, hey, Walker, and... <laughs> Did you catch them? from uh, Walker Walker. Something immortal, I don't know. His
1: immortal catchphrase, Hey, Walker!
2: <laughs> I think this kid has AIDS, Walker. It's a very special episode. <laughs> Rance Howard is Irate Farmer, and he was in Ed Wood, and a lot of Har- Ron Howard's movies, because he's Ron Howard's dad. Uh. Boy, there's a lot of parents in this. George Justin is Barber, nothing. Doc Erickson is Customer, nothing. Fritz... Fritzi Burr as Mulray's secretary. A lot of TV and movies. Charles Knapp as mortician. Nothing. Claudio Martinez as boy on horseback. Who gives a shit? Federico Roberto as Cross butler. Nothing. All of these are nothing. Alan Wernick, nothing. Burt Young. Okay, Burt Young was in Rocky. We all know who Burt Young is, right? Oh, yes. Of course we do. He's in Rocky. Elizabeth Harding. She has my last name. Oh. Any relation? Technically, she has the same name as my ex-sister-in-law. Wow. I supported that divorce.
1: <laughs> you uh, yeah. I under.
2: I understand.
1: Even though she was I in Chinatown? Her.
2: I support. Yeah, even though she was in Chinatown, it's not the same person <laughs> as Curly's wife. She's only in pictures.
1: No, we see her. Do we? Yeah, at the end, or close to the end, when he goes to Curly's house.
2: Who oh, gives a shit. John Roberts is Mr. Palmer Nothing, and Cecil Elliott is Emma Dale, Nothing. Music by Jerry Goldsmith, and he did scores for Alien, and Planet of the Apes, and Star Trek The Motion Picture, and Star Trek First Contact, and he wrote the theme to Star Trek Voyager, and a bunch of other Star Trek shit. <laughs>
1: Making that Star Trek money. Good for you, Jerry.
2: Mm-hmm sucking on Roddenberry's tip. He's like, these Star Trek people
1: will take whatever I write. They don't even care if it's good.
2: Cinematography by John A. Alonzo and he did Scarface and the Bad News Bears. That's the uh, range. <laughs> That's the
1: career trajectory for you.
2: <laughs> edited by Sam Osteen and he's edited almost every single Mike Nichols film. Name it, Name one, Steve. Name a Mike Nichols film. Um,
1: if you can. Um the graduate
2: yep yep name another one <laughs> another mike nichols um do it do it catch 22 who's yes. afraid of virginia wolf yes um I can't think of a more recent one a what more about henry wait was it called henry oh Here's regarding oh where...
1: regarding henry that fucking harrison ford movie yeah regarding henry oh, yes yeah. that one too. Yeesh.
2: Well, hey you know if a guy's willing to hire you all the time just do it get take, take the, the
1: paycheck absolutely
2: mm-hmm Distributed by Paramount Pictures. Oh, I skipped the production companies. I wonder why. Oh, because it was produced by Penthouse. His <laughs> Penthouse produced movies. Bob Guccione yeah, wanted that, that Oscar. That Penthouse. <laughs> <laughs> also, Long Road Productions and Robert Evans Company. Distributed by Paramount. I said that. Release date, June 20th, 1974. Oh, boy. A, a summer release. All the kids will come streaming <laughs> out of school a it. A summer
1: blockbuster.
2: Oh boy, oh boy. And everybody wants to know why Star Wars and Jaws hit so fucking big. Um, running time, 131 minutes. Budget, $6 million. Adjusted for inflation, $32 million. Box office, $29.2 million. Adjusted for inflation, $158.3 million. And it, it made so much money that the Academy was like, Hey, child fucker, we're going to make this the best movie because we're bankrupt, we're bankrupt.
1: <laughs> it didn't actually win Best Picture that year, though.
2: I don't give a
1: shit. Because it had it, it had the misfortune to come out the same year as Godfather Two, and Godfather Two won pretty much everything that year.
2: No, oh, that's true, huh? but it got nominated. It, it did. It Steve. got
1: nominated for like eight, I think. But it only won Best yeah. Screenplay.
2: They ate it up. Oh boy, we love this movie. Oh boy, yum yum yum. Steve. Yes. <laughs> Let's just fuck. Let's, yeah. Okay. Just take. Let's just take as much time up, as you need. Jazz up like detectives, I guess. Okay. Okay. Drive around in old timey cars. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? it should shouldn't it? It should. it should. It should. It should. You're getting the knife in the nose. I'm not doing that. I'll uh, get beat up. Beat up by the Orange Grove. Workers. Okay. <laughs>
1: <You can laughs> we'll we'll the share. Knife in the we'll, nose. we'll share those duties because he does get beaten yeah. up a lot in his movie.
2: He's <laughs> like every time he turns a corner, he says he has an, an, an exchange that's kind of like this. Fuck you.
1: <laughs> he never learns. He gets his ass kicked no, like every other scene, and he still comes swaggering and talking to Every time he meets someone in too. this
2: movie, he insults them. And then they go to beat him up. And sometimes they get to beat him up, and sometimes they don't get to beat
1: him up. <sighs> yeah. Now, let's,
2: let's run into the world of Los Angeles in 1937 and this shitty history. Yeah. And... Let's go to Chinatown. I hope there's a place that's selling dim sum because I'm hungry and I don't. And we'll just stay there the whole time. We're not going to get involved, Steve.
1: <laughs> We're going to stay clear of the story and just hang out in Chinatown. That's right.
2: Steve. Steve. Yes. Steve. Yes. Take it away. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think you mean that literally, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> just, please just take it away. Take it. Tell me. Just tell me I don't have to do this. Just give me permission to stop. <laughs> Come on. No, okay. So we first we get some lovely old school Hollywood style credits. Yeah, the uh, classic
2: Paramount. Yeah, credit. the
1: classic credits. You get everybody's name up front with the score playing and just simple title cards, and it's black and white and uh, really mm. classy. And then we fade in. Well,
2: it's sepia tone. Se-
1: yeah, right. Yeah, it's sepia tone. And uh, but
2: they use the old Paramount logo.
1: Yeah, yeah, and even like the fonts and stuff. They, I mean, it, it's it's you know, it's in the style of like a movie from the nineteen thirties. Um, and then we, we dissolve from the credits to photographs of a lady having sex with a man and the photographs are being held by that lady's husband. Yeah. Played by Burt Young, who is essentially playing Pauly from Rocky in everything but name only, right? And except uh,
2: he's sad and he tries to eat the Venetian. Blinds. He's
1: really upset. Yeah, and and then we, and that's when we meet uh, J- uh, Jake Giddes, who is Jack Nicholson, and he's like, you know, I just had the blinds installed. You can't eat the blinds, you know. And he has a really. Uh, He he shows us that he's a brilliant sleight-of-hand artist where he he swivels around in his chair to get some booze out of the cabinet, and when he swivels Mm. back around, not only has he gotten the booze, but he has also magically put a cigarette in his mouth.
2: I know, it's weird. It's, you know... This classic film. I have a question. Yeah. Why does he have a big portrait of uh, FDR? Because he's patriotic. a really big... Is he? He's very patriotic. after you're yeah. standing there with, with the, the classic cigarette holder in his mouth and is like, you know, when I feel down I look at a picture of FDR and I feel better because I can dance and he can't.
1: <laughs> you know, if, if you want a serious answer, you know what I think it is? I think it's because, uh, as we as we soon learn, Jake is very protective of his reputation and being a private mm-hmm. investigator and all. And I think having a picture of the president in your office when new clients come in probably lends him a, a veneer of, of respectability that he may benefit from
2: whatever anyway he tells berg young <laughs> get out <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to take all your money because I'm a nice guy.
1: Yeah, but get out. Go back to Philadelphia.
2: Yeah, whatever. Is it Philadelphia? No,
1: it's no. But I'm, It's because a, a, of Rocky. See what? Because because Burt Young is from Rocky, so he's going to go to Philadelphia oh. to go be in Rocky. Wait,
2: is this a sequel to Rocky?
1: I think it's a, a. I think this it's a prequel, a prequel to Rocky. Rocky. This is Paulie's younger and so days.
2: That's why Pauly's so pissed off. Yeah, from Rocky.
1: <laughs> yeah. This is Paulie's origin story. This is the, what people miss about Chinatown. That they're literally <laughs> anyway. the same character.
2: There's a lady there that wants to see him. That's
1: right. She says that she is Evelyn Mulray, who is, uh, and, and that her husband is Hollis Mulray, who is the chief engineer of the water department. That's right. And she thinks that, he, that, that old Hollis is having an affair, so she wants Jake mm, to mm. follow him around and take pictures and find out if he's got a girlfriend.
2: Yeah, and Jake says, okay, I guess. Sure, that's what I do, right? Yeah,
1: he's a little reluctant because... Uh, well, he he tells her, he says, you know, it's better not to know and kind of tries to brush her off. And she's like, uh, you know, no, I want to I I want to know the truth. And he's like, OK. The end. The end of movie. That's the whole movie. That's, wasn't that great? Yeah.
2: <laughs> the whole. But first, he goes to a water department meeting. Right. And that's great. The riveting movie. Yeah. What? Where he says, come on, you guys, we can't drink the ocean. And we can't give all of our water to farmers. We'll just continue to steal it from Northern California <laughs> and, st- and create a, a permanent animosity between two parts of the state. You know, the part that has the water and was smart enough to build around it. And the dinguses who decided, hey, let's build a whole city in the desert. That's a great idea. Let's
1: live where there is no water.
2: Mm-hmm. And steal other people's water so that we can have swimming pools and <laughs> fucking lawns. <laughs> and, and, and,
1: and that, my friend, is the story of America.
2: That is the story of America. Anyway, he follows, what's his name?
1: Yes, he follows right. him, and uh, he, uh, he follows him to uh, a riverbed... And um, is this where he, uh, he, he sees the water being dumped?
2: Yeah. So the, what's his name goes out to the ocean and he's just like wandering around. Right. Right. And then water gets dumped into the ocean. Right. right. And he wants to find out how long he's been there. And he puts what well, takes a watch and he sets it because he's, he's like Batman. And he's got a whole utility belt full of watches. And he puts <laughs> it underneath the tire of the car. So that when the car drives away, it'll crush the watch, and it will know when he left. Yep. And it turns out he was there all night long, right? Yeah. And he goes back to the office, and he takes a picture of somebody. Who does he take a picture of? Um, they're out on the boat.
1: Oh yeah, well no, he's because yeah, he's they're following Mulray around. Yeah, they're yeah. following Mulray around. Yeah, and, and they. Yeah. they
2: take yeah, and the pictures somehow wind up in the newspaper.
1: Yeah, well, because he he, he take they take pictures of him in the um in the boat, and then he also follows him to an apartment, and he takes pictures of uh-huh. him like you know with with uh, a woman who is not the woman who hired him, and right, and um yeah, and the picture ends up in the newspaper, and Jake doesn't know how it got there because he didn't give it to the newspaper; he gave it to the wife, and then it's in the newspaper. And he's like, "What happened? How how did this happen?" You know?
2: Yeah. And then he goes and he gets a shave and a guy says, you're shitty. And he says, I'm not shitty. And now we'll have a racist joke. Look at Jason just zoom through the plot because he doesn't want to be
0: here.
1: Ah, oh, yes. Jake Jake tells the racist joke that he heard at the barbershop.
2: And he thinks it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, but
1: then he turns around and there's a lady there and she overheard the racist joke and now he's embarrassed.
2: Tell the joke. He doesn't
1: want the lady to know he told a racist tell, tell joke. Tell the jokes. Do you want me to tell the joke? Tell, I don't. Know.
2: T- tell the, for for, for critical reasons. For, <laughs> make, we'll transform this part. Oh. Of, tell, tell, the, tell the joke. It's, I love making Steve do things you, that are okay. uncomfortable. You,
1: you really want me to tell this joke? Do it. I'll I'll laugh. I'll laugh.
2: I'll make us both look bad.
1: Okay, so there's this guy and he's having trouble with his wife and he can't sexually satisfy his wife. So he's talking to a friend of his and the friend says, well, what you need to do is you need to start having sex with your wife the way they do in China. And what they do in That's China right. is they, uh, they screw a little and then they take a break and, you know, they read some Confucius or something. And then they screw a little bit more and then they take another break and they do something else. They, you know, contemplate philosophy and then they go back and they screw some more. So the guy says, oh, okay, I'll try that. So he goes home. And he gets in bed with his wife, and they screw a little bit. And then he gets up, and he goes and reads the paper for a while. Comes back. They screw a little more. He stops, goes out, watches a ball game. And he's coming back in, and he screws his wife a little more. Then he gets up to leave, and his wife says, Hey, goddammit, what's the matter with you? You're fucking like a Chinaman. And
2: then then Jake laughs. See, it it makes Chinese people and women look bad.
1: Yeah, because how does she know how Chinese people...
2: Yeah, she must have... Maybe had sex with a Chinese person, and he's married to Which her Which makes her
1: bad. Only bad white women have sex with Chinese people. <laughs> what are you possibly thinking? Especially in the San Francisco area, my goodness. I
2: have so much to destroy your career, Steve. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was out of context.
2: You are, you are so lucky in, I'm your best friend. In, if this was like a long con, I'm like, finally... And I, I I I tear down the background and there's a Kekistan swaying <laughs> yes. behind me.
1: In my defense, Jason did ask me to tell the racist joke.
2: I did. And you did it because you're you're giving in game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I only did what was asked of me.
2: Now choke me a little. Anyway <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> She goes back to the office where he's telling the joke, and oh, oh, there's a lady there.
1: And she says that she is Hollis Mulray's wife.
2: Oh, so you are the real Mrs. Mulvihill. <laughs> and she's like, I'm gonna hire you to find the lady.
1: Yeah, well, she says, th- find out if he's cheating. Yeah, well, she says that yeah, his that his that her husband does have a girlfriend, but mm-hmm. that she is missing, and so she wants Jake to find the missing girlfriend.
2: That's right, and this has ruined his reputation because it makes him look all smutty. Right. So the, the lady who came in before said, who was pretending to be her, was just doing it so that he would get discredited in the newspapers, and it would also tarnish Jake's good name, being the jovial detective that likes racist jokes. Exactly. He needs, yeah. So he goes, he goes where? He goes something. He goes to the water department to go see Mr. Mulvihill, and he's not there.
1: Yeah, right. And yeah, right. And this is where we meet Higgins
2: yeah cuz he has to wait a long time to meet higgins and higgins finally meets him and what what incredible amount of information are we exposed to here is what he met somebody and they fought or something
1: yeah something like that um and he's not well, and and that mr Mulray's not in the office and i think it, we um he says that. Oh, and it, it, does he tell, Does he talk to him? No, he doesn't talk to him about that yet. At some point, he talks to, to Higgins about something else, about the the water, mm-hmm. the water that he saw being dumped in the desert. Because the whole the whole point. Of, like,
2: where is Magnum, and when will we be yeah, done with my case? Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Magnum owes me money. Oh yes, Magnum owes everybody <laughs> money. Um.
2: Anyway, then he goes to the Mulvihill place. Well, first, he gets in an almost argument with a guy, with a random guy, right? He walks in and he says, hey, random guy, you're an asshole. And he's like, gonna beat him up. <laughs> and then a guy steps in and he's, and, and then he says, oh, this random guy is now working for the water people. Right, commission. right. And he says, hey, he, he, when he was a cop, he couldn't stop rum runners from bringing liquor in. And implies that he's crooked, right? And then he leaves, and then he goes to the man, the Mulvihill Mansion, or whatever it's Mulray. called. The, what is it? Mulray. I don't. There's too many M names. And that's where we meet James Hong, who has such great lines as "Yes, ma'am."
1: Yeah, James Hong plays the butler.
2: <sighs> he's the butler. He goes in the backyard, and uh, there's a guy working on the pond. And the guy stands up and says, what, Steve?
1: Well, it sounds like he's saying bad for the glass. And that becomes a racist plot point a little later. But, uh, yeah. yeah. So, remember, because he's doing some gardening near the edge of the pond. He stands up and it sounds like he says bad for the glass. And Jake's like, Mm. yeah, sure, bad for the glass.
2: And then uh, Mrs. Mulray comes in and she's just gotten done doing some barebacking. I'm sorry, what? Not Not the way we mean it. It means she was With a riding horse. her horse without a, yes. a saddle. Yeah, yeah, she was barebacking a horse. She was barebacking
1: a horse. She, what a woman, so, my you know, God. She
2: comes in, her hips and legs are destroyed. She's
1: a, <laughs> <she's>, <laughs> have we learned nothing from Catherine the Great?
2: They sit down and have some tea, and she tells them some shit. I don't know what it is. Something, something plot, something, right? Uh, yeah, is this. She, d-
1: yeah, that's right. And um, she tells him that he 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 usually goes to the reservoir to take a walk, and that if if and if he wants to see to, to meet with him, he should go there.
2: And sometimes he likes going to a dry reservoir to drown in salt water. Yeah, Oops, that's a, did I jump the gun? Uh oh. <laughs> he goes to the reservoir and he meets Detective. What's this? Nuts. Escobar. <laughs> Escobar. And he's like, so you're looking for Mulray? And he's like, yeah. Well, here he is. And they're dragging up the most ridiculous. fucking looking corpse
1: he sure is dead
2: (laughs) he looks really surprised yeah I
1: see (laughs) he does you know sometimes you, you don't see it coming
2: it is so stupid I know it's supposed to be horrific but it just looks dumb he looks like one of those googly eyed. Uh, when you buy a card for your grandpa because you hate him and it's got a bad joke and all the characters that are either drawn or they're real people and they have googly eyes instead of real eyes, yeah. that's what he looks like. <laughs> Anyway, now we stop by. We go to the coroner. Mrs. R- Mulray identifies him, and
1: uh, and he has salt water in his lungs. Uh, he had Very salt important. water in his lungs. Yeah. So,
2: do we find that out then? I, no, the, no, I think the coroner, the coroner yeah. is just like he just he drowned.
1: Well, at some point that becomes important. At some point, it's it's established that that he drowned in salt water.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, Jake goes down and he's checking out the crime scene.
1: Yeah. He's yeah. And this this is when he meets the the two guys. Who catch him when he jumps the fence? He
2: meets a a kid on a horse. Remember? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he's like, "It's okay if you don't remember because I barely." No,
1: because he's no, he remembers because he saw the uh, Mulray was talking to the same kid when he when he was following Mulray before he got killed.
2: Yeah. Anyway, he gets chased around by these guys. And then they trap him up against a chain link fence, and they say, you stomp, bad things are going to happen to you. And he's like, yeah, what? And he says, well, I'll stick this knife in your nose, <laughs> and then I'll flick it, and your face will explode in blood. <laughs> and that's what happens. that's how the human body works. Yep. And they say, you better keep your nose, get it, keep your nose out of it, get
1: it, <laughs> your, nose. your nose out of
2: our business. And uh, he gets some stitches, and now we've got the bandage that we have to contend with with almost the whole movie. Yeah. Right? And then um, we go to a restaurant to meet whatever her name is, Evelyn? Yeah. Evie, And uh, they talk, and they talk, and they talk some more the next day. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I honestly don't remember, because none of this... None of this means anything none of it, Steve is related to the water or anything is it
1: Steve? no, but eventually but he
2: thinks it has something to do with water
1: well yeah, and he he goes back to the water department and the uh the 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 secretary, I guess for. Um, Yelbert, and, uh, Higgins, uh, tells him that uh, Mr. Mulray used to actually own the city's water supply, along with mm. this guy, Noah Cross, who is in photographs Tough that patholism. are in the
0: office.
2: Yeah, because that's what you want. Things that, some, that people need to stay alive, you want in the hands of a corporation. Absolutely. Right, yeah. Nestle? Yeah, really. Anyway. Nestle saw this movie so.
1: and we're like, someday that'll be us. Mm-hmm.
2: So then he goes to know across this place. Yeah. And he's like, I'm looking for your daughter and he said, I want you to find the man that the woman that she's been seeing, and I'm gonna pay you all all the money. I'm gonna pay you all the money if you do it. And now my mariachi band is here, excuse me. And <laughs> he goes to the Public Works Department, yeah. and there's some pimply guy there, and he's like, Show me are all these, the new escrow, oh boy, land deal shit. Yeah. And so well, yeah. he says, What does he say? He, said, he noticed that all of these recent purchases look like the whole valley's just been bought or something. Yeah, right. has
1: recently been sold. Yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And then he goes to an orange grove, and they shoot at him. And he gets he gets
1: beaten <laughs> up again
2: because they think he's like working for the water department or something.
1: Yeah, because so right? so what it turns out is happening, the ba- the gist of it basically is is this is that people the 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 farmers that own the land like these orange groves are being pressured to sell their their land and and Mm -hmm. that the reason why these orange farmers beat him up is because they thought he was someone from the water department who had come to because they
2: and he nuts one guy real good yeah oh yeah
1: and uh and they thought that they were that he was there come to like sabotage their operation because apparently that's been happening Mm a lot to try and force them to sell um,
2: They've been poisoning the wells yeah. and doing a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, it's like that scene in Logan, that movie I like.
1: Oh, Logan! Yeah,
2: I remember when the guys show up and they're going to turn off his sprinkler system? Yeah, and Logan breaks a and he gun says, over his leg and he's like, "Yeah, Get the fuck out of here, I'll kill you really bad." And they're like, "Okay, <laughs> can we do Logan? Is it ten? You want to do Logan? T- is it ten years old? Please tell me it's
1: ten, no, okay. not and it's not. It's only like five years old at that. <laughs> yeah, at yeah, that. Yeah. Sorry."
2: Anyway, so when he wakes up, Evie's there, and she's like, "What the fuck, man!" And they have a discussion about something about something. I don't care.
1: Yeah, he well, he catches her up on what's going on, what he thinks is going on. But right. They, they want to build. This, you mean they, the not they, the actual plot of this movie. The thing yeah, that the, we are
2: concentrating on for the bulk of this film is all a misdirect red herring. We're doing that. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: They right. want to build. They want to build a dam, but they're not actually going. But the dam is just an excuse to move the water. The water is not actually going to go to the reservoir created by the dam. It's going to go to all this land right, that these right. private landowners are buying, and, and it'll be for their benefit, not for the city. Right.
2: And then they go. To the and him go to an old age home, and they meet old old ladies who are making a quilt, and then bad guys show up, and they're like, what do we tell you? <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> do we're gonna have to it, kill you again. Do
2: we have to cut the other nostril wide open? But then they escape, and Evie takes him home, right? Yeah. And then she cleans his nose yeah, and then she cleans his and pipes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she's so she's so overcome with passion after cleaning his cut nose.
2: Hmm, it's the blood.
1: That they spend the night together.
2: Yeah, and the next morning they're up there pillow talking, and she asks him about when he was a cop, and uh, we get we get some more hints about how he doesn't like Chinatown, right? Right. And then someone calls, and she's like, "Stay where you are. I'll be right there." And he's like, "What's going on?" And she's like, "Fuck you. I'm not telling you." Right? She's like, "Fuck yep. you. Yep. I'm not telling you." So. He uh, sticks around and watches the house. Oh no, he follows her.
1: What? Well, no, he follows her. He follows her to wherever she's going. And he and, sees her with this he he young sees, girl. Yeah, and he assumes that the young girl is the girlfriend of her husband that he was supposedly hired to That's find. That's
2: right. And then he, yeah. he's in her car, and she gets in her car, and he's like, You tell me the truth now. And she says, Fine, that's my daughter. Right? Yeah. No.
1: And he's like, Oh, okay.
2: No, wait. No, he says. Oh, no, it's his sister. Her sister. Says, she says,
1: It's my sister. It's, it's my easy sister. You get yeah.
2: confused <laughs> when your family tree <laughs> yeah, is so yeah. short. Anyway, he's like, Okay. And what does he tell her? That the sister is something, 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 red herring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the next morning he goes over to her house and no he goes over to somebody's house whose house does he go over to
1: Is this where he gets the phone call in the middle of the night and they say go to go to the such and such address Yeah and there's a there's a dead woman there and the detectives are there waiting for him Mhm mhm yeah And yeah yeah, and it's actually, it's it's the woman who who impersonated Mulray's wife Yeah, she calls him and yeah.
2: says, I didn't know that this was going to happen I got paid to do it because I'm a call girl And uh, they go over to her house and she's dead, right?
1: Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm And then he yep.
2: has to meet Escobar again And he's trying, does he tell Escobar this is what's going on? What he thinks is uh, going on?
1: I don't think he does, not yet. He, 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 well, because Escobar says, if you have any evidence mm-hmm. about this, you need to turn it over to us. Right. And um, so he goes, uh, he goes to look for Evelyn. He goes back, back to the mansion and right. she's gone. Like she, all of her stuff is packed up and, and the, the butler or the, the maid is like, oh no, she's like, she left.
2: Mm hmm. So he goes in the backyard and the gardener is still there. He says, this, this is very bad for glass. And it turns out that the pond is what, Steve?
1: It's saltwater plot reasons for plot reasons. Who in
2: the world did, you know what I want? I want a saltwater pond. Why?
1: (laughs) Maybe they keep saltwater fish.
2: Very bad for glass. What? They keep what?
1: (laughs) They keep saltwater fish in the saltwater pond.
2: Anyway, he fishes out a pair of glasses, right? Yeah. And he tracks down Evie, and he goes over to his, her house, and she's he's like, "You're going to tell me the truth." And she said, "She's my she's my sister." And he hits her, and he says, "She's my daughter." Yeah. And he's like, "I want the truth." And he keeps beating her and beating her, and then she finally falls down and she tells him the truth. And what is the truth, Steve?
1: That she's her sister and her daughter. How is that, that she's possible? the product That's of impossible. she's b- b- because she well it's but as as Jake uh, figures out pretty quickly it's because uh, her father raped her and it's the it's the child of her and her father.
2: How old was she when uh, Daddy did the bad thing?
1: Did they tell us? 15. I guess she was she must have been pretty she young. Said fifteen 15? is a fifteen. She was
2: fifteen years yeah. old when it happened. And so does Jake apologize for hitting her a whole lot? <clears throat>
1: He does not,
2: and all she wants is to grab her daughter and go back and go and go go back go to Mexico, yeah. right? Yeah, and uh, he leaves. Escobar comes up and does something. I don't know what it is. Anyway, he goes to Polly's house and he's like, "Hey, you want to drive around?" Polly has hit his wife for cheating. I guess.
1: Yes, yes. That I'm telling you, he is. He is Polly. <laughs>
2: well, what does he?
1: That's totally a Polly move. He wants Polly well, to drive he wants... him, right? He wants Polly to take them, yeah, to take them. To, I guess to the airport, Mexico. Uh, so so they so they can go to Mexico, or mm-hmm. yeah, or yeah. But mm-hmm. again, he because Polly still owes him money, so he's like, if you do this, then you were square, and like I'll throw in a hundred bucks for your trouble.
2: Right, and then he goes for some reason back to Milvy's uh, to. Evie's house, and Noah Cross is there again. And he's like, just tell me where the girl is. And he's like, no. And then a guy comes up and starts play, playfully playing with his ear with the muzzle of his gun. And he says, okay, I'll take you, right? Yes. And they go they go to where it is, and the cops are there. And the cops are like, you're under arrest, Jake, because uh, you tampered with evidence, you withheld evidence, and other things. And he's like, look, this is Noah Cross. He's a bad guy. And Noah's like yeah, I'm Noah Cross and I'm rich. And then Evie comes out and she's like, we're leaving. And she has her daughter with her and Noah's all, they get in the car and she's got a gun and Jake is like, put the gun down. And she's like, no, I don't listen to you. And um, <laughs> then Noah comes up and starts to open the door because he wants to get his hands on the girl. Right. And right, she yeah. shoots him in the arm and he kind of goes, er, and then she drives away, and the cops shoot at the car, right? Jake tries yes. to stop him from shooting, and then the car irks, and we hear his scream, and they run down to the car, and Evie's had her eye shot out. Yeah. And her daughter slash sister is screaming, and uh, the pederast comes up and grabs the, do- the, the daughter and tries to cover her eyes, and he wanders off the end for him. And um, Escobar told, tells Jake, "Get out of here, I'm dropping all the charges and just go home. Guys, take him home." And one of the guys turns to Jake and he says what?
1: He says, "Well, Jake keeps like Jake doesn't want to go. like he keeps turning back and is obviously like, you know, he's, upset he's by upset. what's just happened. He's upset. And, and the guy says, "Forget it, Jake, It's Chinatown.
2: And they walk up as the rest of the cop cars arrive. And the bad guy gets away with everything, he makes all of his money from his fucking water deal, and that night he's probably fucking his his daughter, um, granddaughter, and yep. I don't even know what the fruit from that commingling will be, but the bad guys win! Funny how yeah. The terrorist wins the end of the movie from a m- movie As... that was directed by Steve. Tell me what you think of this <laughs> fucking movie right now. As
1: Roman Polanski would call it, a happy ending. <laughs> um,
2: the good guy won.
1: What the good guy? Why I changed the ending because I wanted the good guy
2: to win. Right. I'm sorry. We didn't what? want the bad lady to win. Are you talking about the, bad the survivor lady. of rape? Who's trying to run away with her daughter? Yeah, that's a ba- yeah, the bad. Yeah, the lady. bad lady.
1: She was going to ruin everything for that nice old Mister Cross. She told
2: people what happened.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> she had to die.
2: <laughs> anyway, Steve.
1: Um. I will tell you this. um, It is difficult to separate the movie from the person who made Uh it. uh, Because knowing what type of person Roman Polanski is and knowing what he did, both what we know he did and what we have very good reason to suspect that he did. Yeah. it's really difficult to separate the art from the artist because, yeah, as you point out, I mean, it's it, it sounds too on the nose, but it's literally what happens. The guy, the, the child rapist, gets away with it yeah. at the end of the movie. Because like, he's rich. It's, it, it's really, yeah, it's really difficult not to draw that line. You know, I'm just, but, um, and also, as we, we mentioned a little bit earlier, I mean, you know, there is some anti Chinese racism in it that is, there? is just I didn't sort of. Notice. I know. Right. It's so subtle Um, that you know that, especially to modern ears, really rings out, and you're really like, "Oh boy, did they need? Like, wasn't there any other? Couldn't they? Isn't there any other way he could have found the glasses in the pool? Did they really have to do the fucking glass grass thing mm-hmm. and make fun of how Chinese people pronounce certain letters?" And, pronounce you know certain letters that way? Yeah, it's just, it's just there are things like that. That looking back at it now, from with modern eyes, it's like, oh, man, that's they yeah. so didn't. That's, that's that you know. Um, but if you can get past that and that's a big, if, and not everybody can or should, and if you can't, that's fine. But I think this is a great movie and it's great for a lot of different reasons. Um, on the surface, it's beautifully shot. It really does a good job of evoking a 1930s pulp detective story. Um, it evokes film noir exquisitely, you think? um, <laughs> Yeah, it does. It. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but this was patterned after a film noir movie. What the fuck? Uh, out. It, uh, but it does it through. The, but it does it through the lens of the 1970s. So it's 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 got some more sex, some more profanity, violence. more gra- more more graphic violence Squirty than than a movie. Knives. Yeah, more. Yeah, you would. Jimmy Cagney never got his never got his nose cut open with a big spurt of old blood man coming out. Eat a fish. Yeah, which is just unfortunate. You could have done without that. John Huston is in it doing things. <laughs> um, the most, by the, the, the I mean, he did, he gives a brilliant performance. He's the most obvious villain in the history of movies. He's great. Like, is any, he's, great. he's great. And he knows he's exactly so who slimy. he's
2: playing. And it's so, he, yeah, oh, yeah so good.
1: He plays him like he's the worst person in the because world. John which John Huston knows which,
2: that he is the worst person. He's playing the worst person yeah, in the world. He,
1: He's the slimiest, most obviously evil guy mm-hmm. you can imagine. and it's, and it's it's perfect. Um, and uh, yeah, it's you know it's it's just this rich, atmospheric, compelling movie. But there's a lot of stuff that is going on beyond the surface be, uh, other than the troubling stuff that I already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it is stuff that, you know, that sk- film scholars and sort of the champions of this movie have have talked to death over the last several decades. Um, the significance of the title, the significance of the last line, the fact that, you know, the movie, except for that last scene, which wasn't even in the original screenplay, mm-hmm. um, in the original screenplay, the movie didn't take place in Chinatown at all. There was not a single scene that took place in Chinatown. Nope. Um, and, and for for the movie, they did rewrite so that the last scene takes actually does take place in Chinatown. Chinatown. But the movie is called Chinatown and and the last line of you know forget it Jake it's Chinatown. That's it Chinatown represents rot. It represents corruption. It represents like this sort of dark page in Jake's past where where he was told by his fellow cops and by his superiors to do as little as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody it's knew that it was corrupt. Place
0: where bad people are.
1: Everybody knew that it was corrupt. Everybody knew that it was that things were were bad and you were just not supposed to worry about it. You know, forget it, Jake. It's China. Can I County. ask you a question? Um, yes, please.
2: Do we ever see any evidence of that?
1: No. Where do no. we see well, all we see, of
2: I, the corruption?
1: Well, we see that. Well, we the Well, I I think the point is that the corruption is in the police department and in the, the government. You know, it's not necessarily that the people kind of Chinatown are bad. That it's that the
2: whole LA County and Ventura County yeah. and Orange County and all the yeah, yeah
1: yeah It's that the the authorities are corrupt. Mm-hmm. The government is corrupt. Right. The the people and and the rich people who pull the strings yeah. are are corrupt. Yeah. Um... And, you know, and there's the the sort of uh, the, the theme that we see a lot in, in movies about Hollywood, especially in modern movies that are about old Hollywood, about how everything there are all these dark, lurid secrets, you know, buried just beneath all the wealth and glamour of, of L.A. and, and Hollywood. Um, people talk about the screenplay by Robert Town and how great it is. And I mean, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's been praised so much that I guess it, it might be fair to say it's been overpraised, but it is a really, really good screenplay. Um, and and you know I mean if you've ever if anybody's ever taken a screenwriting course or or read Sid Field's screenplay book mm-hmm. uh, Robert Robert Towns Chinatown script is a major reference point yeah, he he goes back to that again and again to point out things about story structure and how to move a plot along and um, you know as a great example of the three act structure which Fields was a major proponent of and um, you know and and it tells. A very complex story with impressively little exposition. Mm. You know, there 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 was originally there was a voiceover written for Jack Nicholson to deliver, but they got rid of that, and I'm very glad that they did because one of my favorite parts of the movie is that it doesn't lay everything out for you. That uh, you do have to pay attention and watch and figure things out, mm. and and you can if you do if you do pay attention to the movie and watch and 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 figure out. What is happening as Jake is figuring it out, you can you know you can figure it out too. Yeah. Um, And that's very much how the story is structured. Jake is in every single scene in the movie and is the point of view character from start to finish. And as Jake is learning these things and figuring out what's going on, we are figuring it out too. And and that is a really really effective way to tell this story. But so all of that has been talked about before. But what what I noticed and really appreciated when I watched the movie this time was the contrast between Jack Nicholson and the rest of the actors in the movie. Um, Chinatown is made in the style of a 1930s and 40s film noir, but through 1970s eyes and every other actor in the film at least every other actor giving a performing in a, a major featured character is giving a performance that would have felt at home in a 1930s noir movie. I mean, you could take Faye Dunaway and put Faye Dunaway in a time machine, send her back 30 or 40 years, and drop her into "Murder My Sweet" mm-hmm. or "The Lady from Shanghai," and she could give this exact same performance, and it would fit perfectly. Do you know who like they wanted? This, who
2: they pushed for, push for before? Uh, well, the. Um, they wanted the studio wanted Jane Fonda. Really? Yeah. They pushed. I don't know if that would have worked as
1: well. Yeah. well, was was the right choice, and and she, like I say, she I mean, she's she's great in this, and she gives a very 1930s or 40s esque performance, um, with her with just her line delivery, mm-hmm. and of course with you know the with the way that she styled and everything. I mean, you know, but she looks like a classic like old Hollywood movie star, and she acts like one, and and the rest of the performances are like that too, except for Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson is there in the center of the movie giving this very modern very naturalistic very raw instinctive nicholson-esque performance Mm -hmm. and it's not like the other characters and it's not like the other actors so not only not only is the film an old hollywood story told through modern eyes but the protagonist of the film the point of view character the guy who's through whose eyes we are seeing the story is played by an actor giving a distinctly modern performance. Mm-hmm. And I have never really noticed that before, uh, but I noticed it this time and I really appreciated it and and thought that it worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, when you view a film noir through a more modern lens, you realize, or at least I realized, uh, why film noir remains such a fascinating genre to those of us who, who like it. And uh, that's because a good film noir or a good neo noir like this is, it finds a way to be simultaneously cynical and idealistic. Uh And I think we're all kind of stuck at that crossroads all the time in our real lives. We're all sort of faced with wanting to do good, wanting to make the world a better place, but also having to reconcile ourselves to how fucking difficult it is to do that. And in Chinatown, Jake knows that the world sucks and he knows that there's really nothing he can do about it. But eventually through the events of this movie he finds a reason to care he finds a reason to try at least in the case of Evelyn he at least wants to help her by the end of the movie Um, you know he's he starts out acting in his self interest wanting to save his reputation Mm -hmm. but eventually he's acting to help Evelyn and Catherine get away right and to and to expose Noah Cross for what he has done he's trying to do the right thing Mm -hmm. Um, and he's Mm -hmm. deeply upset when when that doesn't happen and when he fails and, gets and even though he for it. and he uh, yeah and he gets punished for all he gets punished throughout the movie Everyone for trying to do who the right tries thing
2: to do the right thing, i mean technically evelyn is the hero in this in this yeah in this movie she gets punished for it she oh, absolutely shot. she does yeah.
1: absolutely she does and Catherine is the innocent and she gets punished too because she loses her mother and she ends up in the clutches of this evil guy mm-hmm. i mean Um, so, but, but so even though Jake fails and that along with everything that you just mentioned, uh, that is the cynicism of the movie asserting itself, you know, the the world sucks. The world is a dark, corrupt place, you know, um, but Jake still tries and we aren't, and the movie isn't so cynical or so dark that it leaves us with the impression that he's sorry. He tried, we feel like he did the right thing. Um, and it didn't it didn't work out the way he wanted it to but he's not regretful that he tried Um, and it it reminded me of there it reminded me of two Ernest Hemingway quotes one is the one from that that is actually quoted by Morgan Freeman at the end of seven uh, where uh, from uh, a farewell or from a for whom the the bell tolls, where he Mm -hmm. says the world is a fine place. The world is a fine place and worth the fighting for, and I very much hate to leave it. Um, And Hemingway wrote that in 1940, but in 1929, he also wrote in A Farewell to Arms, the world breaks everyone, and afterward many are strong at the broken places, but those that, that will not break, it kills. And Chinatown made me think of both of those. Mm-hmm. And I think those are both very appropriate. Uh, the, the, it's about a, It shows us a world where being broken is inevitable. And if you will not be broken, you will be killed. But at the same time, there's something about the world that is worth fighting for, that is worth at least trying to save, even if you're just trying to save one person in it or, or two people in it. And even if you know that you're probably not going to be able to do it because things are just that bad or the corruption you're facing or the evil you're facing is just that overwhelming, it's still worth fighting for. It's still worth trying. And I think Chinatown puts that message across. I think most really good film noir put that message across even though they are really they typically they they tend to have downbeat endings that's one of the hallmarks of the genre they tend to have downbeat endings where even if the hero kind of sort of wins he doesn't get everything he wants um but you still have that sense of yeah but it was worth it it was worth fighting for it was worth trying at least um and i that's 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 what chinatown put me in the mind of watching it this time so uh yeah really really good movie i think that's all
2: so Why am I in such a bad mood? Why? Why am I in such a bad mood? I'm in a bad mood because I'm never seeing this movie again. Because I cannot divorce the author from the work. And I'm in a bad mood because I really like this movie. And the reason I like this movie is because, yes, it is a film noir, but it took every film noir trope and flipped it. We were used to film noir tropes, or at least people who knew about films or knew about film noir. When we meet Faye Dunaway's character, we assume that she's the femme fatale. That she's yeah. the one that's going to fuck over Jake at some point in the film, and it's going to turn out that she's the one that's behind it all. She's not. She's the hero. She's the hero. I disagree with Steve. There is The point of the end of this movie is not that it was worth it. You can see it written all over Jack Nicholson's face at the end of this movie, when Evie's dead, and, uh, and uh, basically... Uh, Noah Cross is dragging off his daughter-granddaughter for uh, Uh some good old-fashioned rape sessions back at the old ranch. The same man who just made millions of dollars on top of money that he tells Jack Nicholson he doesn't need. He says, why do you need? What what do you need with all of this extra money? You're already worth well into the millions of dollars. And he says, for the future, because he has some dipshit capitalist idea that he's going to, you know, influence the future. And he is. He gets away with it. The lesson at the end of this isn't it's worth fighting for. The end of this is don't do that because look where it got you. Look where it got you. Where did it get (laughs) you? No one's listening to you. Cops tell you to go home. You're lucky that you're not going to jail. I guess that's a good thing. But the whole movie, typically, at the end of a noir, good prevails. Even when it's the first even if it's the two characters in the film... Are doing something despicable, like I don't know, killing some wife's husband so that she can get the insurance money. Everyone pays for it. <laughs> they get, they pay for it. They either die yeah. or they go to jail. Right? They got, they die or they go to jail. End of the Maltese Falcon. He didn't go to jail. cleared his name. All the bad people go to jail. Turns out the Maltese Falcon is fake, but good eventually prevails. Good doesn't prevail in this movie. Every, all of the straw and the rain of herring that comes out of the sky during this film, in which we are convinced that it has something to do with water rights, it's kind of in there. We find out about the corruption, but nothing, that is not the point by the time we get to the end of the movie. The point is, let's get Evie and her daughter away from creepy old man. It does Doesn't work. Evie's dead. (laughs) I mean, the original ending to this was Evie, you know, Noah Cross goes to jail. Evie goes, don't. Noah Cross dies because she shoots him in the fucking face. But she goes to jail. The daughter's safe. The land deal does, you know, the the water deal doesn't go through. You know, Jack Nicholson doesn't get Evelyn because she's in jail, so it's a bittersweet ending, but it's more of a noir ending. And Polanski said, no, everybody. (laughs) The evil man has to survive. The evil man not only has to survive, but benefit by the end. The bad people won. So, was that worth it? Nope. (laughs) I don't think that's the meaning of this at the end of it. And that's one of the reasons why I like it, because it's still a noir. But it plays with you. It tells if you have an in, if you have a knowledge about noir, you start making assumptions about noir, and you start making assumptions about Evelyn. Oh, she's going to be the femme at the end, and you might start making oh, she's probably the one that killed her husband. Oh, and it's, it's oh wait, maybe it is the land deal in the water thing. Oh well, and it's a two-hour red herring. Literally, we find out about about the. <laughs> I'm her I'm her sister. She's my sister. She's my daughter. Twenty minutes, about twenty minutes before the end of the movie. Right. Yeah. The rest of the time with the glass and the and the salt water and he was drowned and blah and blah and blah. We find out why he was killed. It wasn't Evelyn, even though we're led to believe that it was at some point. Um, you know, he was killed over the land deal. No one's gonna find out about that. No one's gonna find out about that. It's an engaging, yeah. engaging movie that moves along at a clip. It's hard to believe it's more than two hours. Two hours long. The dialogue is great. Jake is a conflicted, a very uh, polarizing character because he's a jackass and an asshole, but he does have certain principles. You know, he's not going to take all of Bert Ward, uh, Bert Young's money at the beginning because he's yeah. worried about how he's going to pay him. He said, "What kind of guy would I be if I did that?" He stands up for himself when he thinks that he's been besmirched because people make fun of him because of the type of job he does. You know, he likes to point out hypocrisy mm-hmm. wherever he sees it, whether it's the guy that used to look the other way when people were running rum through Los Angeles. Who is now, on a com- you know, has a commissioner job, um, or wherever else he encounters it. He has a tendency to get in fights a lot because he's got a he's got a quippy mouth and he likes insulting people. Um, he's not the greatest guy in the world, but he's clever. You know, he's smart. Mm-hmm. He can put things together. He's not as cool as, like, say Humphrey Bogart in The Maltese Falcon, who is always two steps ahead of everything that's going on. Oh, he yeah. legitimately thinks he's on to some one thing when he finds out the other, right? As yeah. he stumbles yeah, oh, yeah. across this, this whole thing with with Evelyn and her daughter. Does it make it bad? No, it makes it great. It makes it a great movie that I'll never watch again because I have <laughs> no interest in watching it again. I have no interest in singing this man's praises, nor do I. nor would it be a film that I would recommend to someone simply because now the movie leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And I don't think I'm going to be able to make it past it. I, I, I honestly can't. If evidence comes forward that says all of the allegations are certifiably not true, sure, that would be great. Do I hope that they are not true? Of course I do, because I want him to be recognized as an artist. But if they turn out to be they turn out to be true, then I'll never see this movie again. You know. And I'm starting to find out the more and more of the artists that I used to admire or whose films I liked. Now I can't watch them because that's always in the back of my mind. And in this case, if nothing had happened to Roman Polanski with a 13-year-old girl, it would be a bold choice for the ending of this movie (laughs) to end Uh, the way it did. But now it's tainted because I can't help but think, um, really? You changed the ending so that the rapist pederast gets away with everything because he's a millionaire? Yeah. Seems a little wish-fulfilly. To me, hmm. and I don't <laughs> like it. So, is it a classic? Yes. We're gonna watch it again? No, because it put me in a bad mood for the rest of the goddamn day, and I had to watch it twice. So, Steve, classic?
1: Oh, definitely. Just answer the goddamn definitely question. Classic. <laughs> but no, <laughs> classic. But but I am I mean I I'm with you. Like we were talking about earlier, uh, before we started recording. Um, I mean, I do think it's a great movie, mm. but I don't feel. I don't feel the kind of personal emotional attachment to it where i feel like i'm going to watch it again mm-hmm. after this i mean I, yeah. i'm not going to say i am not going to say i'm definitely never going to there may be a reason to at some point in the future oh, no. but, yeah. but 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 i mean i hadn't before i watched it for this it had been probably 10 or 15 years since i watched I mean, it i will recommend um,
2: here's the thing i will recommend it to honor the performances of the actors and actresses that are in it and like john houston He's a great actor. He's fantastic in this. He's fantastic. Absolutely, and there's no real clunkers. And if you close your eyes for about ten seconds, you won't even see Roman Polanski. So, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I think you can just pretend that Jeff Nicholson tripped and fell, <laughs> and that's how he messed up his nose.
2: Steve, rec- not recommend something. Yeah. Oh, this fun. one's easy. Make it funny. This
1: one. This one's easy. I, I actually, there, there, I had a couple of possibilities for not recommendations, but you know. <sighs> I I, I I did what I always do, Jason. I went for the low-hanging fruit. Of
2: course you did. Of course you did. I went for the low-hanging fruit. You'd hurt fruit. me if you did.
1: <laughs> the movie I am not recommending is the movie that you might imagine I would be not recommending after a glowing review of Chinatown, mm-hmm. and that is the misbegotten and belated sequel to Chinatown oh. that, was in, that was released in 1990. Mm-hmm. That's right. Chinatown came out in 1974. Mm-hmm. The sequel came out in 1990. Yeah. And it's called the Two Jakes.
2: Why isn't that good?
1: It's boring. It's really, really boring, and, and here's the thing. The most interesting thing about it is that it's one of a, a handful of movies uh, that is actually directed by Jack Nicholson. It's not the only movie he ever directed. He directed a few other movies, but it's probably the most high-profile movie he ever directed, and unfortunately, um, he is not a good enough director <laughs> to elevate this material. It's just... Uh, it's, it's. I don't know how else to say It's just... Convoluted and dull, and it feels like it was made by people who really liked Chinatown and wanted to sort of pay tribute to that and try to recapture that magic. It was the screenplay was also written by Robert Town, who you know wrote Chinatown, but it just doesn't have the same same people, stars a lot of the same people, uh, and uh, stars uh, Meg Tilly as as an older version of Catherine from uh, Chinatown. Mm -hmm. And and has a really, I mean, it's the the cast is fantastic. I mean, in addition to Nicholson, it's got Harvey Keitel. I mean, come on, Harvey Keitel. Um, Eli Wallach is in it. Um, It takes place late forties, I think. Is it late late forties? So not not as long after the events of Chinatown as the movies are apart. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes it takes place about ten years after the events of Chinatown. The war it's really good, it's took good, it out of him. Yeah, apparently. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, but yeah. Perry Lopez is in it again. James Hong is in it again. Um, it's you know on paper it, it's a it's a terrific movie. But when you actually have to sit down and watch it, it's not a terrific movie. And it especially pales when you compare it to the original, which inevitably you're going to. I mean, it's a sequel to a classic movie. It doesn't live up to that original and it's just not good so uh it's a shame but that's the way it is and so my not recommendation is the two jakes
2: so speaking of directors as you guys know i like to not recommend a film from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed and it's 1974 and there's a first time director who's making a movie oh boy
1: Oh, boy. That
2: director's name is Jonathan Demi. Steve, what else has Jonathan Demi made?
1: Oh, boy. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Uh, Rachel getting married. Yeah. Your all time um, favorite
2: movie, apparently. If you're not recommending I Rachel getting it, married. I mean, you'll, any excuse to recommend it, you'll do it.
1: I love Rachel getting married.
2: The dog that was in this movie also is the dog in in Rachel getting married. He's made a don't lot of you, films. what? Don't
1: you ever say that about Rosemary DeWitt ever again. <laughs>
2: Anyway, everybody's got to
1: start start
2: somewhere, even if it's garbage. The movie that I'm telling you guys not to watch is the 1974 women in prison movie, Caged Heat. Oh, boy. Which was not only directed by Jonathan Demme, but also written by Jonathan Demme. And it's as bad as the title sound. It's a bunch (laughs) of women in prison. And they get naked and hit each other a lot.
1: Oh, so it's not one of the good women in prison movies. No. It's a bad one. And as
2: soon as I can think of one, boy, I'll compare it right to it. It's bad. <laughs> it's just, it's... it's exploitive garbage. And, yeah. and you know, he needed work or whatever. And so we did it. What do you want? It was between it, this or I'm... what was the other movie that came out this? Peter Weir made a movie. <laughs> Peter, Australian director Peter Weir made a movie called... The Cars That Ate Paris. Is it true? No, it's not about cars that actually eat Paris. It's about a little town in Paris, Australia, where they kill tourists to get their clothes and their wallets and their money, and then they part out the cars and they make, like, Mad Max cars out of them, and then like, the whole town just falls apart. So there was no so it, cars it So it's a documentary? Yeah. <laughs> There's no cars eating anything. I had to choose between those two first time director things, and I chose Jonathan Demme because, you know, I like him better as a director. I don't care. Anyway, don't see it. Steve, Me too. pick a fucking movie, goddammit. <laughs> I don't care wow. what it is. Just do it. I have three of them here. Say that, okay, everybody. As you know, I make Steve <laughs> choose blindly from three movies that I have selected, and I've picked a genre that he hates. And there are three movies in there that I don't even know if I like. Uh, There's two of them in there. I know for goddamn sure I don't, but they're fucking classics, and we have to do it. (gasps) And I'm letting him pick. Instead of me picking, I could I could easily, slink, but I want it to be fair, and I want it to be a surprise, and I want it to keep a you know <laughs> so that it's just not we have decided, Dave and I, that we will do this movie. No, it's a it's a blind choice. He can choose A, B, or C, and then he's gonna choose it and either make me uh, bleh, or ha- uh, not happy. Actually, kind of happy, because if he chooses one, I'm going to have a ball just fucking shaking it to death like a goddamn dog and a weasel.
1: Wow. Okay.
2: Steve, A, B, or C? Please. Please. B. Okay. Not not the one I wanted him to choose, if it was one of the bad ones, but... A lot of people like this movie, and hey, oh, by the way, it's been remade right now. How really? T- how topical, I think, by Steven Spielberg, because he's bankrupt of ideas. Oh, oh, oh I know which one this is. <laughs> okay. Had you chosen A, we would have watched and reviewed My Fair Lady. Ah. Had you chosen C... We would have reviewed Victor Victoria. Ah. But you chose B, I the did. longest, longest one.
1: <laughs> oh boy, I'm so happy with this choice.
2: Where someone said, let's make Romeo and Juliet, except let's set it now. And it'll be about two gangs fighting in New York, in the west, the West Side, get it? Because that's why it's called West Side Story. And someone um. said, you mean like a black gang and a white gang? And someone says, whoa, cool your jets there, buddy. We won't do that. Boy, oh boy, what are you trying to do? We'll never get funding. And, and they said, well, let's turn it down a notch. As far as skin tone and make them Puerto Ricans. And said, that's a great idea. People like watching Puerto Ricans dance and sing. And so they decided we're going to do that. And there was a Broadway show. And then it became a movie. And that movie is called West Side Story. And that is what we're doing. Oh, boy. So if you want to get all the jokes or the screaming, the, all the screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Then go watch West Side Story before our next review. And that's it, Steve. I'm done. I'm done. I apologize to everybody. I'm in a bad mood. It's hot here. If you're watching the video, you can see that I'm turning bright red because it's 100 million degrees outside. This lemonade is not doing anything because it has no sugar in it. It's sugar-free lemonade.
1: So it's just watered-down lemon juice?
2: Uh Mm-hmm. When you get diabetes, you can judge all you want, buddy boy.
1: I'm okay.
2: Anyway, that's it. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening or watching the video if you're a Patreon supporter. And uh, for late seating, go see a movie this week.
1: And this has been Steve Shives, because Jason forgot to say his name.
2: I did say my name.
1: You didn't say this has been Jason Harding. Fine, movie, I'm Jason
2: way. Harding. Hi, I'm Jason Harding. I'm the producer of the show. Hi. I edited it, too. Hi, I'm Jason Harding. And this is me telling you, telling you to see a movie this week. See one.
1: <laughs> and this is Steve Shives reminding you, whatever happens, don't forget this, that you don't know what you're talking about, you dumb oaky.
2: <laughs> I'm not from Oklahoma. You're not? No. My family's from South Dakota.
1: You're from Minnesota. South Dakota. That's South
2: it. Di- how, yeah. Yeah. I'm from South Dakota, Minnesota. It's a small town in Minnesota called South Dakota. Everyone wanders th- around confused.
1: <laughs> Did that ever confuse you? What was going to be my next question?
2: No, because I, you got your states and stuff mixed up. Part of my family ran in shame to Minnesota because they didn't like Norwegian people in South <laughs>
1: I I would really like. I think it, we're we're missing an opportunity here. I think I need to found a town, and the name of the town needs to be United States. <laughs> so it'll be like, and we'll put it in. You know, like let's just say Oklahoma. So it'll be United States, Oklahoma, United States of America.
2: Why I would found a town to, called Masturbation Hole. How about that? You, I'm from Masturbation you know why Hole, w- Wyoming.
1: Do do you, do you know why I would do it? Why to confuse all those dumb Okies? Wait, what? I'd do it in Oklahoma, and it would confuse all the Dumb Oakies.
2: I would change the name of Oregon to Oklahoma. That would really...
1: Yeah. And would so <laughs> would there the be two Oklahomas, or would yeah. there, or would they switch? I'd name it There'd Oklahoma be 2. two. <laughs> in Oklahoma 2.
2: West Oklahoma.
1: West Oklahoma. Hey,
2: that works, see? They
1: stole oh, it, it from us. How would they ever know? That's true. They don't even know about Oregon now.
2: No. The radio station has a, has a distance of three miles. Five <laughs> records and three miles. They don't get the internet. And by, I don't, they don't get the internet. Is that They don't understand what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you explain it to them, they will be like, I'm sorry, I, can you just back up?
2: So when did Jesus invent it? Oh, he did okay, fine.
1: <laughs> What's a computer?
2: When... When did the fried taters come out of it? No, that's not how. How did you get that from that?
1: <laughs> I, nobody said anything about fried taters. What
2: are you? <laughs> all right, I'm done. I'm done.
1: Okay. I'm done, I th- I I'm done too. I've, to I've, I've, in I've insulted part. another region of the country, you so did. I'm just
2: you, you you, love it. You love it. <laughs> you're not even happy where you live. One of these days you're going to overstep your bounds, and I'm going to go, like, that wasn't fair at all. <laughs> Ha, <laughs> ha, because we did kind of you're, imply that everyone that lives in Oklahoma is a hillbilly, and that—well, not
1: think, literally. There are hill, no hills.
2: Hillbilly is a derogatory term at this point, isn't it?
1: Oh yes. Actually, we have hillbillies here.
2: Where in Maryland?
1: In Maryland, because we have hills.
2: Yeah, but they're the lowest rung of hillbilly.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, the real hillbillies are down in Virginia and West Virginia. Yeah. I mean, in, yeah. in
2: Maryland, you're a hillbilly if your SUV is more than three years old.
1: Exactly. Real hillbillies. Yeah. Real yeah. <laughs>
2: You're a hillbilly if you buy your wine at Walmart.
1: Yeah, it's hillbilly wine. Everybody uh, knows that.
2: Yeah, exactly. If you buy mushrooms pre-sliced, you're a hillbilly in, in Maryland. You,
1: you, everybody knows you buy the, the, the best wine comes at in the, the independent family-owned liquor stores.
2: That's a funny... We're done. I'm
1: done. We're done. Bye, I'm everybody. Done. <laughs>
2: Goodbye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts.